Welcome to The Machine is the Message. I'm one of your hosts, Patrick Keenan. I'm the other one of your hosts, Alan Smith. Welcome to the podcast. We are stoked to be here. I just drank four coffees, so I'm I'm good to go. So like, there was bottomless coffee uh, with my breakfast today, and so I'm, I'm turned up, Pat. I'm going to be like getting in there. You're going to be trying to present. I'm going to be yelling at you. It's going to be wild. So this is another deep dive. Pat, what are we getting into today? So today we're going to look at education. The, the, the core question is, will AI make ed education obsolete? I think um, the preface to all of our episodes is that we are thinking in public. Uh, none of these things here are concrete, nor perhaps are they fully thought out. So if you have an opinion <laughs> on this, join our Discord, comment on our, uh, on our uh, podcast, uh, and heck, maybe come on for an episode to set us straight. But these are talking points, and hopefully you get some some thought uh, exercises. Yeah, and until you disagree with us, consider this to be the definitive truth. Uh, we we just get to set the record otherwise. So uh, see us in the Discord notes in the show notes or link in the show notes. All right, Pat, All right. will AI so, make education obsolete? So there's six things we got to look at here, and uh, these are the sections I've broken uh, the the talking points into. The first is an education report card. How has education done over the past hundred years? How are we feeling about it? The second one is cracks in the system. Where do we see areas where uh, our system is breaking down? Third is what AI brings. What can it bring to education? And then after it brings that, what's left for us? And then, and then uh, the fifth is kind of an opinion piece, campus for all. And then finally, we get into barriers uh, ahead. So it's going to be a wild ride. We're going to push through. So we're starting with this report card. So I'm looking at the reasons that education exists at all. And one of the big reasons is around literacy. Uh, so early societies for religious and practical reasons recognize the importance of literacy. Uh, education was often the preserve of the privileged through religious institutions or private tutors. So it wasn't always sort of public, but there was an emphasis on the importance of being able to read. Um, and I want to look at, so one of the things I've done here is for, uh, only for the first section, I've pulled some stats because I think that'll just ground us and help our intuition. So this is a chart of the rising education around the world from 1820 to 2010. Um, and we can see that clearly uh, literacy is on the rise. You know, we're starting at 12% of the population, uh, up to 83% of the population. If you look at a place like uh, Canada, it's closer to 99% of the population. Uh, and we can see just generally a trend in literacy. Uh, I am going to pause here and say, like, what do you think about the concept of like literacy as a new technology? You know, writing, printing, those were all crazy revolutions um, that allowed the populace to have the same information as each other. Um, and we see this value of education, increase of education. What is that for AI? What is that for um, technology we have now? First, I'm surprised to see literacy rates so low so recently. Um, you know, I think <clears throat> in the West, at least, we don't realize this. So if, if you're not actually seeing the chart, um, it's kind of shocking. We're looking at, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeastern Africa, a hundred years ago, we're looking at 10% literacy rates and we're looking at 70 and 74%, which, you know, is 
arguably, I think a lot of us would say that's not high enough uh, today, but that's a pretty steep line uh, in terms of the uh, growth from that time to that time. As far as what that means for AI today, so if, let's think of an analogy, right? If the gateway to information uh, and the commodification of first, you know, we commodified in the uh, essentially labor, right, to some extent, or at least manual labor in the industrial revolution. And then in the knowledge revolution over the last hundred years, um, we've commoditized uh, information. And the gateway to that information was literacy, right? Like you need to be able to read. And so, yeah, the next question is, as we uh, commodify intelligence, you know, first we commodified, you know, essentially physical labor um, or energy to some extent, uh, then information and now intelligence. What is that gateway? That's an interesting question. I'm, I don't have an answer yet. I need to continue to learn in public today. So I'm going to develop an opinion over the rest of this podcast, hopefully as do our listeners. So uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, like two things to to keep in mind. And you're right; it's really low um, in the 1800s. You know, there are more books now. There are more opportunities to read. So like the notion, like I, I think you could go even further back pre Gutenberg, and you'd be like, well, how many people could actually access a book? And it's hard for us to imagine that, like you're saying, information was valuable. Like, I didn't know who could, like, make my the brick wall. Like, I literally didn't know that person. And so having that information was valuable. And that's why the merchant class emerged and basically connected the world through trade. And so we're at a point where information actually is a commodity. Like, I could get that information, like, really quickly. But that wasn't always the case. And to, to pinpoint that, if information was the problem today, uh, you know, if if it wasn't the problem today, we would all have uh, perfect abs and be billionaires, right? <laughs> so it's it's the the information isn't you know the next like we've already come a long way with that, uh, yeah. but the access to information has only gotten us so far, and now we're about to take that next jump. All right, let's roll. So this is just another uh, chart, which is numeracy and literacy. So, you know, literacy is about uh, reading and numeracy is about sort of proficiency with uh, words, with certain numbers. And um, uh, Canada's like in there, it's like the little orange guy. I mean, you can't see my cursor, but it's just under in the United States um, mm -hmm. word. Uh, so yeah, this is just showing the correlation um, between these those. So when we increase in one type of education, generally that infrastructure that's helping us with that is increasing the other. Uh, and hence the the uh, the importance of um, education. And so for this part of the report card, I would give it a, I'd give an A plus. I think we're doing quite well. Literacy, you know. Yeah, one hundred percent. Way to go, Japan. No idea that they were you know so high uh, on both yeah. of these spectrums. Yeah, kicking our butt. Got to catch up. All right. Another case for education was that as. Um, you know, democracy flourished. The founding fathers, even Thomas Jefferson, championed the concept of an educated public as necessary for government. So here we see education is not only like a good thing to help people read and access things and work together, but also as a necessary piece of the form of governance that we have. Um, so I guess you would think, well, here th there's two sides to this. One is, um, we're a democracy. We're going to need to educate our public. The other one is, as we educate our public, we'll probably be more likely to become a democracy. What do you think about that concept? 
first thing, whenever I see founding fathers, uh, arguments, Hey, the founding fathers said this. So, you know, I'm right about whatever. Um, I'm equal parts, dude, that was a different time. And dude, that was a different time. That was, these ideas were pure back there and hadn't had the time to be essentially diluted and twisted into what we consider as democracy today. This was really like the purest, uh, you know, conception of, of democracy uh, back then. And to that extent, I believe that that thought is extremely, uh, again, I'll use the word pure for the third time, um, extremely pure. And so it, I, I'm vibing with this. This, this works for me, man, hundred percent. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fight against this for one second other than to add and to say that the critical thinking that goes along with that was often also championed uh, by the founding fathers and that they needed to hold the government accountable, which was that sense of self-government. It is everybody, you know, doing it in a way. Yeah. And, um, and for the notion for literacy education to be core, like the thought would be, imagine AI existed. Would they say core to a democracy is that everyone has a personal AI? Like, would Whoa. that be a thought? And, and if an so, thought. is that core to our democracy? So let's look at some uh, graphs. Countries that are democracies uh, and autocracies. So the red is kind of like closed autocracy, which means that like people don't really vote. They don't really get to make decisions. Electoral autocracy, which is mean you get to vote for some people, but it's not like an open running. You don't have freedom of speech. Electoral democracies, you get to vote for sort of more parts of the government. Um, and, uh, you know, the people are, are able to participate. And then liberal democracies have... A whole set of things like, uh, you know, three branches of government, judicial is separate from, um, like, legislative. And so, yeah, so we can see that there is, there is a trend here with higher literacy, higher education. We do see a move to at least more uh, electoral uh, reform. All, all of these are up and to the right, um, although over the last, you know, it looks like we're, we're seeing a bit of a slip, you know, the charts are turning over a little bit uh, mm -hmm. in the last 10 years, which is, you know, was hopefully a momentary correction, uh, not a long-term cause for concern, should you be uh, excited about democracy. So another uh, reason for education was religion. So the Puritans in, in um, the United States emphasized literacy and Bible study. I will also say that uh, a big part of the Protestant uh, Reformation or revolution was that people could read the Bible and say, hey, what you guys are doing is not what it says in here. Like you're asking for me to pay my way to heaven and that's not in the Bible. And so <laughs> partly there was a, you know, a benefit in having people not read the Bible, but for the Protestant groups, especially the ones that came to America, reading and Bible study was a core part uh, of their practice. And so I kind of grouped this statistics. You know, I, I looked for some religion statistics, but I thought would be more interesting is, um, around how are we as a collectivist society? Like I see religion as kind of reading the Bible together. There's like a community there. And then this is just a, a chart of participation in individual religious spiritual activities at least once a week. So are people participating in these things? Um, not necessarily like reading. Um, and you can see like, it's kind of a hard chart. It's kind of a weird chart to read, but it's based on year of birth. And then throughout the last um, 20 years, 
how how do you participate in a religion? And you can just see the younger people are, the less they've participated uh, in a so religion. So there's not only a slippage in each generation over time, there's also a marked step down in each one of the generation's uh, participation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well put. And then uh, the other thing I'll look at for sort of like the religion, or I would say culture, uh, is percentage of one-person households. Uh, and this is looking at uh, from 1960 to 2018. And you can just see the amount of one-person households is increasing. One might argue you have more freedom, you have more income to spend on your own place. But also you can't deny that that would probably have an effect on uh, the religious cohesion or cultural cohesion of a place. And something we're seeing in general of just uh, the loneliness epidemic, uh, you know, when you compare that trend of the loneliness ep epidemic versus, you know, one person households. Yeah, th that makes sense, right? Like I see those two tracking together. Uh, absolutely. And then also the lack of participation in, uh, you know, religious and spiritual community groups, uh, you know, sort of pairs with that, you know, as well. And so yeah, I, I can see where some of this is going. Okay, let's keep going. All right. All right. So we got economics next. So I would say we looked at religion. I would say the report card there, of like in terms of the Puritans being like, education is really going to help with religion. I would say the report card, you know, that didn't really work out. So sometimes mm. the intentions for this adoption of a new technology or system do not do what you want or perhaps the opposite. Now we're going to look at economics. So the case for economics was that this would help with poverty, but also prepare people for a workforce because things were becoming more complex. You need to sort of learn how to operate the steam engine or work on, on uh, larger manufacturing uh, businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, and so here I'm pulling productivity uh, output per hour worked. So uh, you can see from 1950 to 2020, basically, uh, that we go from low productivity, so low output per hour work, to high product productivity in Switzerland, United States, uh, China, India at the bottom of the chart with sort of like lower gains. But again, everybody on the chart is moving up into the right. Uh, absolute gains look low in China and India, but uh, percentage gains look really high. It looked like they were at two dollars an hour, and now they're at you know ten or eleven. Um, which is a 5x, whereas, you know, with Switzerland, we only see a 4x, right? You know, from $20 an hour up to 80. Um, yes. So, yeah. Okay, cool. Yes. Well read. Um, and then we can look at uh, total productivity growth. And so then this is looking at um, farming. And so this is looking at land, labor. So those are two things. Like, there's no more land. There's, like, kind of less land on this chart. And this is 1950-ish to 2016. Uh, so it's not less land. Labor is going down, but total output is going up by three times. And then total factor productivity is going up, of course, because that's what's causing the output to go up. So we see here that there is less people needed on the same amount of land to create three times the amount of output. Ties much into our conversation about when the first uh, one-person billion-dollar company uh, is going to exist, and you know, should these trends continue? Right, is kind of the uh, the theme here. Mm -hmm. 
And then when you think about education, like what has education done to make this true? Well, this requires science, investments in science, science technology. Um, and then of course, farmers like are not benefiting from the education as much. So you can see that there is like a displacement of labor. And so the, the thing we're talking about with AI, it's going to destroy all the jobs. Well, this has been happening in farming, you know, for the last eight years. Mm, mm. And then social reform. So there was just a belief in human belief in human rights um, and the importance of uh, education uh, to make societies uh, flourish more. And so I'm, I pulled a couple charts uh, to this to this uh, point. One and of them is. To, let mm -hmm. me just pause here and say, if you're not following along on the video version of this podcast right now, you're missing out on two things. One is uh, the value in the charts, and two is these. Gorgeous illustrations that Pat stayed up all night painting watercolor by hand uh, for each one of these main subsections, and they're they're just gorgeous. I didn't know you were so good at watercolor, my man. Yeah, I've been working on it. Working on it. So nice. Okay, keep going. All right. So, uh, so this is a chart of adult women's employment rates have tripled in just over fifty years. So it's a chart of employment rates for men and women, and you can see women are, are going up since the fifties. Uh, and men are going down. And so this is like, this is interesting because it's like, well, what's the education doing? Like, I mean, they're both getting educated. So is education leading to, um, you know, men losing their right. jobs? Not so much. There's more people in the workforce. But also I think it's an interesting way because I think this is what we're trying to do is we're trying to feel like what it's going to be like when AI is a full-on thing in the way that the internet is a full-on thing. So what's it going to feel like? And maybe it's going to feel like what men are feeling in this chart, which is they're losing their jobs to more superior uh, individuals. Mm. Yeah. Or so at least, we'll... yeah, losing and having more competition, uh, you know, in either case, right? Certainly. And then here we have service producing industries versus goods producing industries. Uh, and this, these are all Canadian statistics now. So uh, we can see that you know, since 1960, there's been an inversion in 1960 where there's more service producing jobs than goods producing jobs. What does this mean? My opinion, it means we need to get back to manufacturing. I don't know. I enjoy services. I like I go to the coffee shop and I like to go to a spa, but I do feel like perhaps the economy is relying too much on services, but this is the nature of when you get a stronger economy is people have more money, they have spending power, they want to spend it on services. What do you think about this? Well, there's a sort of secondary, you know, discussion there around, you know, the sustainability of a goods-driven society. And, you know, we all need to buy more goods and create more goods uh, and consume more things, you know, hard goods um, to be able to, uh, you know, have any type of growth, right, uh, in employment or, or uh, economic growth, right? Both of mm -hmm. those are, you know, I, I personally like seeing, you know, the shift to a services driven economy. Uh, it shows that people are buying experiences uh, more often and people are taking care of each other. That's, you know, how I read that. Uh, to me, that's probably a good thing uh, in the long term and shows us that, you know, we're bumping up against the edges of, you know, the value of a goods producing society. At the same time, what I would guess happens here is that for a while, and probably if we looked back further in this chart, the number of people 
employed in goods producing, um, jobs was probably even higher. It was like a much larger percentage um, of the overall population at some point in time. And then as we began to automate that, less and less people were required to do that. And then we've kind of found a baseline where it's like, well, this many people can make this many goods. And it's, you know, yeah. this, this, you know, percentage of the population. Whereas with services, we've been having to, you know, throw people at it. This is why people don't like service-based businesses or, or VCs don't like service-based businesses as much as businesses that can, uh, quote unquote, scale, you know, more often, whether they're uh, digital goods or physical goods where, you know, one extra dollar can produce many more uh, of the goods as opposed to with services. It's like, well, one extra dollar, I have to add more people. You become a body shop and you have to throw more people at it. And that's reflected very, very clearly, you know, in this chart. When AI can deliver services, what happens then? And I would imagine this line, you know, starts to taper off and head in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess on the, on the theme, education, like what has education done to result in this outcome? And then if we knew what we're, the majority of what we're doing is helping people enter a service-based economy. What, what would we do differently? I, I don't know. Interesting. Mm -hmm. One more chart. Uh, unemployment rate. Uh, they've trended upwards in the last 50 years. Um, and so perhaps this is something we need to get used to. It's like a higher unemployment rate. Uh, we see it going up and down. So it's the volatile, basic, based on sort of recessions. Um, but yeah, maybe that's just going to keep going up. Maybe the percentage of people un unemployed is just going to keep going up. That's it. That's all the stats for today. Um, that was a lot of stats. I'm trying to like, this is like when you're trying to find the correlation uh, between them in your head and the causation. It's pretty tough. There's a few general broader trends that you've tried to, you know, kind of draw our attention to here, which, you know, it seems like, um, if you had to, you know, bring all that together and kind of summarize it into like, what are the the, the core trends uh, that you see in these few charts uh, yeah. before we move on? I think the question I was trying to answer uh, in my little stats search was, has education been good? So then the question is, well, what's good? What was the intention of education? And we saw that it is about sort of like cultural cohesiveness. It's about employment. It's about democracy. It's about, you know, human rights and freedoms. And for the most part, I would give education an A+. More and more people are educated. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it's worked. And so the, 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 the large societal global project of helping people read and learn um, has, on the most part, been the driver of everyone's economic success. So that's great. That's great. Now we are butting up against... And we're not butting up against now. It's just like, instead of books, now we have AI. That's the new force that's going to drive something in the future. Is it going to drive our concepts of unemployment rate? Is it going to drive isolation or is it going to drive opportunity and sort of access to, to, you know, new, you know, new stuff for people like new things to do and better living conditions. That's what we got to see. Let, let's let's march forward and uh, right. and find out. So I do want to say like education A plus. However, 
there are cracks in the system. And here I'm looking at particularly at um, post-secondary education. So one of the things that I was thinking about uh, in our current situation of universities is that we kind of take the top-notch talent from around the country and then we bring them into a university city. And have you been to university city? What's the university yes. city? Uh, I'm thinking, well, uh, in America, you could say that Boston is kind of a university city um, sure. with all of the, the big towns, that, uh, big ones there. Um, I don't know, Kingston. Stanford, I guess. Yeah, Kingston, yeah, Ontario. Um, Windsor is like you know, kind of a university town. Yeah. And like, I, I feel like the, for the most part, pretty vibrant city. You've got young people around, you've got culture, you've got lectures. And then you look at a town that doesn't have a university. For me, that would be like Brampton. And it's mm. like, meh, meh, meh. So I think it's like really good for university cities. Not so great for, for people who are lo losing their youth for, let's say, four years or more. And so right. the question here is, is there like a brain drain or is there a culture drain that could be avoided if people were able to get the quality of education that a university provides and stay in the city? Uh, so uh, not requiring relocation to where the resources are by distributing resources of education anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Interesting question. Another crack that we're seeing is debt. Student debt has reached 1.5 trillion. It's just like beyond, it's, it's a number that's like beyond my comprehension. It's, uh, it's an I outrageous know, number. Yeah. Yeah. And I personally know people who have been like stunted because of their student debt. Which mm -hmm. is really like, if we go back to those charts on the upward mobility of education, it is really doing the opposite there. So we've got to a point where either the education costs far too much or people are not getting the value of that um, post uh, secondary. So I think it's I, a big problem. I, I love this point. And a huge part of this, you know, the uh, creator of this debt is the cost of a post secondary institution compared to the, uh, you know, mean income rate has drastically widened, like the, the, the jaws between those two charts, uh, as we've seen it, are completely ridiculous. And look, I've got my own opinions on this in terms of, if you were to take a 19-year-old and say, hey, you know, commit to a career, and you know what, spend a hundred grand uh, committing to that and go a hundred grand in debt, and yeah, maybe, maybe you're going to get a job doing this, and maybe you're, you're going to like it. That's all we can promise at this point. Yeah. And you could probably get most of this information, not the social experiences, but most of this information available for free elsewhere. To me, that's an insane deal. But you know, this is my personal opinion in terms of the cost of education right now. And what mm -hmm. you're pointing to is the, you know, the outcome of that cost is the amount of debt. We wouldn't be in so much debt if it was much cheaper. Uh, it seems yeah. like an obvious thing to say, but let's call that out. And I would say you not only are you going to debt, but you're not making money. So like you are not getting paid. Whereas there's other situations in the world where you do get paid to learn, like you apprentice or you just like get a job and mm -hmm. you're paid, even though you don't know how to do the job. And so it is kind of like a strange situation that we've culturally accepted and agreed to. And it will take some sort of cultural change to say, Actually, you don't really need the education from a university, or you can do that later, or there's a co-op thing going on. So this is going to crack for sure. 
all right, that's that's all the cracks I have. I don't know if you have any others that you you think that might be um, cracks in the system. For me, it's also the effectiveness and number of alternatives to uh, the traditional education system um, that mm. have become available. So whether we call that a crack in the existing system or the growth of a new system in terms of, again, the commodification of uh, information getting to a new level uh, over the last 15, 20 years with the Internet, um, that's I'm not sure how that fits in. Like, maybe that's a crack. Maybe that's. Yeah. That's just, you know, the growth of a new component of the system and the amount of online learning uh, that's exploded uh, over, you know, especially the last 10 years. Um, I'm sure there's some wild charts on that, but uh, let's keep running ahead. I've, we're through two of the six big chunks here. So uh, in the interest of time. Yeah. So I, to that point of like, well, what's the new growth of new possibilities? I do think we have to kind of like pull apart what education means because it means so many things to different people. But one of the things that uh, AI can allow us to do is adapt to students learning. This is kind of the whole, holy grail of, of education. You, you know, that's why you want to have less students per teacher so that the teacher can adapt what the student is learning based on what they're good at, what they're excited about, where they're at. And each student's going to be at a different place. The nature of public education is it's actually a system designed so that you could have a bunch of kids learning the same thing, which is admittedly not ideal, but we've figured out how to standardize things so that we can get that many people through the system. Well, what if you had that, still that kind of cohort and camaraderie, but you also had a personal uh, AI that could adapt to where yeah. you're at and help you grow on, on the things that you need to. Yeah, now we're talking, and I love this. It's We actually have to call this into question for a minute. And even like the entire, you know, let's just say like uh, lecture uh, experience of, you know, someone who knows some things standing in front of a group of people all in one place, teaching them that thing, you know, comes from another era. Like that's like the technologies that we have now to dis uh, disperse information are far beyond a room with chairs in it, which was essentially the level of technology we were talking about at that point in time. A blackboard, fine, let's get crazy here. Um, and so to say that, okay, actually, now there is value in that shared experience of multiple people together. And we've seen that with, you know, MOOCs uh, online, like MOOCs. Um, we've seen that with like all kinds of online learning. Um, and add to that this element of, there's an impersonal element to both of those experiences and so now like you said ai brings the ability to have someone come sit over your shoulder and say hey you know do you get this and if not help you get it right that's a that's that's not a small idea that is a gargantuan idea that is giga enormous gigantic humongous whatever that's the potential for that um, is this entire talk, uh, in a way, or this entire podcast, but I will actually allow you to drive. Uh, but that's what comes to my mind right away. No, that's, that's totally, I totally agree. And I think part of that is feedback, which is making progress, kind of failing and getting quick feedback. Like right now you have to like do your assignment, hand it in, get the marks, get the feedback, you know, a couple of weeks later, or at, you know, if it's really fast, it's like you bring it in the next day. And that's like a day delay. But imagine like you're on the bus, you're like typing to your AI, like, hey, what's this math problem? And mm -hmm. or it's quizzing you. 
an interesting way and using metaphors from, you know, Marvel Avengers. But the, the notion that you can try, be wrong, know why you're wrong, and try again, um, the, the amount of uh, actual human labor that that would take is just so huge, right? Yep. But once you have somebody who's a coach uh, that can, can take in your answers at any time of the day, uh, it becomes a lot faster. When you commodify intelligence and that intelligence can just be there right ahead of you, one step ahead, uh, laying the uh, you know bricks in the pathway for you to walk down exactly as you need them at exactly the pace you need, making sure that you don't fall over, the chances of you reaching the destination are so, so high. Uh, and the speed at which you would get there, I would argue, would be much, much faster. Again, because of this concept of feedback, uh, you know, you when you shorten the feedback loop, you increase the speed of learning. That is, you know, the, the simplest way. You know, the methods are, are, are many, but the concepts are few. Shorter feedback is absolutely like one of the most universal uh, concepts in, in learning, uh, whether it's in the animal kingdom, um, machine learning, uh, or human learning. So, yeah, love it. For me, I would really just like debugging. Like when I make something, like I quickly throw it together. And then press play and it's like, here's your 15 errors. I'm like, okay, cool. Now I can have something to work with. So like super fast uh, way to fail and, and rework. So another one is relation. So when you're learning something in physics, you don't necessarily connect it to the thing that you just learned in chemi chemistry. Or when you're really excited about like, I don't know, a thing you saw on YouTube, you don't really relate it to your, your um, phys ed lesson. And so like, this is the ability for AI to like, understand the concepts that you're learning and then relate them in unexpected areas so that you can kind of round it out. And that, you know, knowledge isn't a set of verticals. It's not a set of silos. Knowledge is sort of this building of conceptual frameworks to understand the world at large. So um, this could be very exciting, especially given the internet and the, the breadth of knowledge that's out there. I had not thought about this, of the idea. This, and this is cool, by the way, this is really cool. Um, you know, there's a concept in, in learning design that I've used in creating courses, um, or at least learned in the uh, course of creating courses, which is this idea of relational learning. And the core concept of that is that we learn things in relation to things that we already know. And if you had an always-on observer who was essentially aware of everything you already knew, they would be able to easily draw metaphors between new things that you do not yet know and the things that you uh, currently know. And the ability to synthetic, uh, like use that um, synthetic connection uh, between things in the machine that already potentially exist to help humans create their own organic connections and to bootstrap their intelligence faster is, is pretty exciting. And I'm a big believer in relational learning. You know, how often on this, this podcast or in conversation with friends, um, do you, you know, say like, oh yeah, that's like this thing, right? I'm doing it right now. <laughs> you know, like this is this is a huge part of how we learn, and especially you know how I learn. So yeah, this is really I love this idea. I hadn't thought about this at all. Yeah, yeah, and you can imagine you're sort of building up this corpus of knowledge, some that you may have read a long time ago and you forgot about, and uh, to be reminded of that. That's interesting. The next one is a, more around the administrative uh, experience. So what is the worst part of being a teacher? I mean, I, we taught like a little bit, but 
grading was the worst. <laughs> so like, why do we grade? Like, why does a human have to grade? Like a lot of it comes down to like, you know, there's subjective notions. You have to come up with a rubric. Like this is what AI uh, is designed for is assess. And you can kind of check to make sure and vet it, but like to be able to do a quick overall grading and to give students the feedback that they need. Um, I think AI can, can really alleviate the bad parts or the perhaps annoying and tedious parts of, of being a teacher and helping Love people it. on their journey. Love it. Uh, and then another one is analyze. So uh, I, oh, I don't know if your slides are advancing, actually, I'm still seeing the relate one. Oh, um, I think it's, I'm seeing it up. up so ah, there we go. Yep. We're caught up. Analyze. So analyze. So this is really looking at rather than an individual level, perhaps at a population level and identify groups that might be at risk, but also identify groups that are doing really well, identify groups that are interested in a certain topic. So how could we use this analysis to like look for groupings that we could say, oh, well, let's give them this assignment. Let's connect them with this company in the community. You know, um, let's give them this platform to talk about what they've learned. Oh, wow. This, sorry, I've never felt more like I'm going to become, you know, a chess player on a board uh, with, you know, some master puppet uh, or, or player um, just moving me where I need to go uh, than I do right now. Like this is <laughs> pretty, pretty intense, man, uh, to think of it from a big data perspective. We already do this, you know, with big data. Um, when you think about it from the AI perspective, and I bring this up all the time, just think about AI as, you know, a person doing a job. Um, wow. Do they have the, both the insight into that data and the ability to actually do that job, right? Um, there's this framework, I think, for scoring people in jobs and it's, you know, get it, want it, can do it, GWC. You know, get it means they understand, want it means they actually want to do the job and can do it is um, they have the ability to actually go do it. Not just the, the brains, but, you know, they can connect that to their hands um, and go out there and, and create a result. Thinking of AI as this thing that can go do all of that is, oh, I, I'm going to have to slow down for a minute. This is, that's, that's epic. Uh, that's this is a big idea as well. Yeah. And I think, um, the question is, will, you know, do people want it? Right? Like, so we see a lot of dystopian sci-fi about like a machine that knows what everything's going to do. Like Westworld's kind of <laughs> like that, and, like other uh, things. It's, it's two steps ahead of you, but I think people want to play a game, you know, and games don't work unless you have like a board on which the players are. And I actually, for one, would opt into it. Like if you think about Pokemon Go, it's literally a, you're on the board and you're like playing the <laughs> game and the computer's telling you what to do and like adding in randomness. And I just think that people would be into that. It's like, if we go back to loneliness epidemic thing, if you just forced people into a group and you're like, hey, you know, we've noticed you guys are really good at like, I don't know, Arduinos and we need a speed camera on this road, work together and make it like little missions. I just feel like you wouldn't get that unless you could analyze these bigger trends. But if you gave little teams these uh, objectives, I feel like people would be stoked. I, I love it. And okay, thought experiment. You go through your entire life and everything you ever wanted is laid out for you. Um, you, just, you just get it. It's easy, right? 
and then you die and you get to live again. And it's the same thing. How many lifetimes do you go through before you're like, you know what, I'd like to get this, this to be a little bit harder. Don't put all the Pokemon characters directly in a row for me. You know, hide some somewhere. So I got to look a little bit. So I've got to like, you know, move around a little bit, you know, challenge me, you know, to some extent. Um, there's not too many more lifetimes you have to live with everything being exactly the way you want until you realize that, you know, having a little bit of challenge um, actually is much more fill fulfilling from a, you know, a human perspective. And this kind of takes us, you know, but like when we're talking about the game, um, you know, it's, it's not about the game being easy. It's about there being, you know, challenge to the game and mm -hmm. the, you know, you know, that chart where it's like the challenge to interest uh, channel where essentially if it's too easy, you don't stay engaged. And if it's too hard, you don't stay engaged. But as long as your skills are increasing as you, uh, you know, move along and the challenge is, is the, the lower bound of the challenge is moving up and the upper bound of the challenge is moving up to sort of keep in line with roughly your abilities, right? And I think that's what you're talking about here to some extent in terms of, yeah, there's a game board and you're moved to the right place, you know, on the board, essentially. Um, again, yeah, a really big idea. Totally. And I will, I will just share this Nietzsche quote, which is, to live is to suffer. To survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. And so I think Nietzsche. that's what we want. You know, like it is suffering until you find the meaning and then it's a game. That's what it is. Mm. So, all right. Next up, deliver. Uh, so this is around personalizing education, um, and sort of delivering content. This is, this is really about like, this is your point before of like, why, if all this stuff's on YouTube, why am I paying so much money for it when I go in this building? And so this is, I think this is like a simple one, but it's like, now that we have content everywhere about everything, um, what can we do with that? We can pull everything in the, the, the nature of the, the university used to be libraries. Um, now everywhere has a library. Um, and then reach. I think this is uh, a big one for specific. So like one argument around school is like, well, that's where the experts are. That's where the professors are. But often the experts in these new fields are actually working at a company, right? Or they're like in another country. And so the internet connectivity allows you to like connect with them. So what would it be like if instead of saying, well, I got to, Go to this university because of this professor it was like well that professor can kind of come to me what would that look like and what if ai could actually kind of embody that professor and kind of understand all of their lectures and then be there for you you're talking to Feynman or you're talking to you know um von neumann or you're talking to whatever scientist you're you're uh, trying to learn from we have this larger trend that we're seeing you know in in everything of just taking the knowledge that anybody's ever had, putting it online and teaching it to AI, right? Like for AI to just, you know, essentially bring all of this stuff into its mind. And then what is it going to do with it? Right. And we're talking about education here specifically. And again, the commodification of that professorial intelligence and, you know, not only that, but like, imagine not only, I don't know if you ever heard this, but like the best experts aren't always the best teachers and the best teachers aren't always the best experts. 
right? Mm -hmm. And so to be able to combine the two of them into one entity, um, again, is just going to, what will that mean to the quality of an educator that we all have access to when that's just like on every single screen? And uh, how many screens are there, right? And it's not even screens anymore. It could just be an earbud or uh, like whatever, right? Um, yeah, this is really big as well. This is huge. Yeah, and another thing I think about is like, there is a thing in academia, which is like, I studied under Einstein. I studied under so-and-so. And it's like, well, what if you did study under that person, but they weren't alive or like they weren't participating? Like it was their AI that you kind of studied under. So this kind of genealogy of, of uh, academics is interesting. It, we're seeing that uh, with, uh, there's a lot of tools um, coming out already, which are taking, uh, you know, essentially like coaching um, knowledge bases and creating, you know, the original coach who, uh, you know, built that knowledge base or a series of, of coaches or experts who created that knowledge base and making it so that you could essentially have a conversation with them. And that's um, obviously going to be very revolutionary to online learning, which at the moment is very much, you know, a lot of it is still static videos and talking heads. And to be able to take that and turn it into a very dynamic experience uh, where, yes, you are studying under whoever expert. And this whoever expert is more attuned to be able to teach. Uh, it, and it's in a way, it's much more about the information um, is a super interesting thought. So, sorry, keep moving forward. What's left? Yeah, no, and I want to study under Douglas Engelbart. And I want him to give me an assignment and I want to bring it to him and then for him to like shit on it and be like, this is garbage. And then I want to go work it. And then I want him to be like, okay, this is pretty good. And then I want that to be an intro to like the living academic that can actually help me move it forward. Right. And so it becomes kind of this feeder um, for how to progress people's education. Epic. All right. Yeah. So we know AI is great at all those things. Um, or could be what's left for, for the human um, to have as our own? Like, what can AI not teach us, perhaps? Or what will we always have to do? So one of them is critical thinking, right? It's kind of what we're doing on this podcast, but it's also like what you're trained to do in school, which is to question the answers that you're getting um, and not just go with it. What a beautiful quote. Uh, the critical thinking is questioning the answers you've been given. It's Pat Keenan, 2024. Throw it down. Another one is collaboration, right? So like one fear I think people have about AI is it'll be too accommodating. And you know, our kid, he says, uh, please and thank you to the Google. Um, and so it's like, that's not necessary. But uh, what if you started treating humans like you treat the AI and uh, how does that... Uh, fall over. So this is just saying collaboration will always be necessary. Um, creativity. So, uh, you know, somebody created AI, uh, it is not our last creative endeavor. And so always thinking outside the box, changing the frame, uh, is something that humans uh, uniquely do. And I would say our right brain, um, powers, uh, of sort of seeing things from new perspectives will be in demand. And then finally, uh, ethics and really the why about things and like, sh what should we be doing 
um, and what is fair and just and um, though that that's a very human concept that the AI, we can't look to the AI to give us an answer. Hmm. What do you think? Where, where do you, where does the human live? Where where will the human always live? Well, you know, I was shocked when I started putting together a book outline and realized I was outsourcing a bit of my critical thinking. You know, I was shocked when um, the primary use cases of AI were not around, you know, rote reproduction of unwanted work. They were around, uh, you know, essentially very creative, you know, tasks. You know, I was shocked when collaboratively AI feels like, you know, when I work with ChatGPT, it feels like I'm working with another person, you know, on the end of the line who just happens to be able to complete the tasks that I'm asking for and help me think through problems near instantaneously. Um, and is in many ways, like, you know, an incredible collaborator, the same way, you know, we talk about, um, you know, it being a potentially incredible educator. Um, you know, we talked uh, in a previous deep dive a lot about ethics. And so like, you know, I won't comment on that piece uh, specifically. Um, I think that anytime I think that all I can say for sure is that every time in my mind over the last year and a half have said AI is not going to go do this, it pretty much gets there, you know, within three to six months. <laughs> so I feel like I need to be done saying, you know, what's left for argument's sake. I, I don't disagree with anything you've put here from experience in this, you know, most recent, you know, AI boom. Um, I feel like I need to refrain from agreeing. <laughs> While I don't disagree, I feel like I have to refrain from agreeing. You know what I mean? Let me use your three examples. So you saw it critically thinking, or you, 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 it was critically thinking for you. It was being creative for you. It was ethically thinking for you. Uh, no, it was collaborating with me. It was collaborating. It was, it was offering critical thinking in terms of, so maybe that wasn't those, it was actually probably more analytical thinking uh, than mm -hmm. it was creative thinking. Now that, you know, you poke at it a little bit, or sorry, analytical thinking rather than critical thinking. It was helping me to break down and add structure to a nebulous uh, topic in my mind. Yeah, but I think even in, in the case where you gave it an essay, you say like, tell me the critical things around, like the, be critical about this. I think it could probably do that. But yep. my point is, in those three situations, you wouldn't know if it's good unless you studied those things, at least a little bit. Very true. So, yeah, there's a red pen aspect to it of, you know, there's, there's black pen and there's red pen, and I'm using the red pen there. Mm -hmm. And that's where we need our education, because, like, we could take the ethics of the, oh, yeah, that's true. Or we will need some level of education and base, like back to the founding fathers and the importance of education to participate in this new world. There are some tools you're going to need as a human being that AI can't do for you. You're going to have to start at some, some level. So what is that? Not sure. All right. Campus for all. So here's the concept. Um, I think in doing the uh, research on the future of education and being like, oh, well, AI can do teaching, AI has the content, AI can connect with friends, AI, AI, AI. I think the thing that came up when talking with other folks is that, well, there's the university experience 
what about the university experience? Yeah. The four years that you find yourself as an adult. And so the things that kind of come up around that experience are community, clubs, events. You get support, like from the faculty. You get, you know, there's uh, labor. I don't know what labor is. Wellness. You know, um, there's experts around, practitioners. You're in this bustling, hustling place of um, learning, and it just feels like you're apart from society. You get this little container to uh, to learn. Would you agree? What do you What do you think about the university experience? Is it replaceable oh, by AI? It's a, it's a great question, and so. Rather than start off with, could, if we were to take the core inputs or like the core sort of like, look, all of these things, these are means to an end. And so what are the outcomes that these produce? And then how would a different medium uh, produce that outcome? That's the question I'd ask when I'm saying, okay, well, how is... It is the AI experience, uh, it's AI learning experience, whatever, you know, how could we recreate that? Can we recreate clubs? Can we recreate events? Can we recreate, you know, wellness, experts, practitioners? Yeah, we could make a facsimile of each one of those things. And we've been putting, you know, plays on TV. We've been putting brochures on the internet. I think what we're talking about is the next step of saying, okay, all of these things help people develop in very meaningful ways. Is our new technology able to support those developments uh, in a more scalable way or a less expensive way or a more efficient way? That's the question. Not can AI do this stuff. The question is, can AI support development in the same way these things did or very similar to produce similar outcomes at lower cost, whether it be time, societal, uh, you know, whatever. Right. So that's an argument like, hey, we can we can do this for cheaper. That means we can do more people through. But I think what I'm what I'm poking at here is like for me, all of these things were great. The university experience was great. I love that. Why do people have to go to university to have the university experience in a time when the proportion of our population that's above university age is only increasing. Why are we saying this kind of vibrant community can be had if you go to university? And then the question is, do you need to even go to university if you're under university age to experience this kind of social cohesion? Because it's a little bit of a utopia. Like you go to university, it's a little bit, everybody there wants you to learn. You know, you can make use of all the resources. You don't think about food so much. You got this card where you get meals. And so <laughs> I think that to me is more of the future of everyone's life than it is an antiquated uh, vision for how students should live. I, I, you know what? I love that. I love that idea of, you know, this isn't something we necessarily have to give up. There's, you know, maybe this is something um, we try to create more of moving forward. And, you know, this is something I think we'll talk about in the uh, deep dive we do on the post-labor economy where essentially, you know, we're all trust fund kids where, you know, our, our, there's enough resources around that we don't have to work. And therefore, what do we do? Um, you know, do we go back to learning and creating? And a big part of learning is this experience. And it, yeah, yeah, I think there's, it, why does it have to end uh, when you turn a certain age, well, it's because you need to go procure resources because you've burned up enough 
uh, to just, you know, get to where you were. So and that's because a huge you were resources, because in that state, you were not adding value to the economy, which is like, well, why not? Yeah. Yep. And when like, you know, somebody's able to take your place and add value to the economy where we're kind of doing okay, you know, like, hey, I've, I've got my machine pulling for me over there. Uh, so I've, I'm, I'm good here right now. You know, I don't need to be at work today. The same way, you know, when someone added a tractor, uh, they didn't need as many people to be there. Uh, we might see more of the same. But I, I, you know what? I love this idea. And I would also say that some of it um, will not survive. And we will find other ways of producing these outcomes uh, through the new tech. All right. So the other part of the university campus is labs, spaces, immersion, classrooms, libraries, gyms, lecture halls, cafeterias. And so these are spaces. This is a physical footprint, a significant physical footprint in university towns that is dedicated to amenities around learning, but also around community. And again, the argument I would make is why only for university students? That's all. Mm. What about, so we're talking a lot about AI here. Now that we're talking about space, I think about, you know, uh, AR and VR and that, you know, that's where, you know, as much as AI can help with intelligence, VR is, you know, essentially a, you know, space tool, right. You know, to some extent of feeling like you've been transported to a different space. I wonder how that fits into this and how some of these spaces um, are recreated online uh, in a different way or re-envisioned uh, rather than just recreated, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's maybe you don't have to leave your hometown because you can attend the lecture in Harvard and then next, next day be in Tokyo. Certainly there's that future, but the value of space think will continue. I think people want to be around each other. There is something that happens when people are around each other. And and the question is, does do you have to go to university to, to tap into that? I don't I don't, I'm not sure. Mm. All right. We're gonna blow through these next ones. So barriers. So this section is around like, well when we're doing this, when we're creating this new future, what do we got to keep in mind? One of the things is bias. And you might think about bias about certain demographics or groups or ages. Uh, but this is also a, a bias to what? Like, are we kind of like getting everybody to be a mechanical engineer? Are we trying to like bias people to like want to like planting flowers? I don't know. Is there a bias in the curriculum uh, or the motivations of that AI that's helping you? What bias are you worried about? I, more about, uh, I, I think I'm most worried about the getting stuck into a you know perpetual like just giving like the bias mm -hmm. that comes up when you look at your youtube homepage versus you just look at the youtube homepage, mm -hmm. the bias that you don't even know exists that's the one that i'm worried about just the awareness of the yeah the bias that's good yeah uh, another thing we have to think about is access so you know today we talk about well does everybody have access to a computer does everybody have a smartphone and like we're kind of getting to the point, at least in Canada, whereas if you, if you need a smartphone, you can get one or a computer um, for the most part. But then there's access to the latest model. So like I'm paying 20 bucks a month to get access to the latest model. Is there going to be an access uh, competition for compute uh, in the future? 
in the future. I think we have that today. Well, there continue to be one, I suppose. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, and then humanity. Uh, are we going to kind of lose some piece of our humanity uh, by by giving up so many decisions to the machine? This is something we're gonna to have to check against. Are we are we becoming more human? Are we feeling like more connected and relational, um, or are we feeling feeling less? Are we feeling isolated? Uh, oh, man, and in modern day life, you know, when we've been seeing you know isolation with social media, right? You know, social media was supposed to be this thing that allowed us to connect with everybody, and in a way, all it did was make us feel worse um, about our own lives versus the lives of others, and spend more time alone. Uh, looking at the lives of others, communicating and connecting in, uh, let's just say, uh, like, as a weak facsimile, you have like an ultra-processed um, food or ultra-processed friendship that just doesn't have the same nourishment, you know, anymore, yet is equally as addicting. And to think about, you know, are we going to slide further down that track? Oh, dude. Like I'm, I'm like I'm feeling like I'm feeling the waves of like fear and pain and like worry uh, when I think about that and like losing more of a part of our humanity. And I wonder, you know, it's especially when I think about is this the next social media in the same way where we're talking about how great it's going to be and it's going to do all this stuff and then it's going to do all of that in a way that was just fake and we have to get or is this the organic food movement moment? When we're like, no, we realize we need to get back to all of this. And this is the way, you know, to kind of get there. This is the way to reconnect rather than what we got wrong before about disconnecting. Um, yeah, really interesting. And if you haven't been following a lot, you got to get on this video podcast. Look at these gorgeous slides, uh, Pat. I had no idea you knew how to make stained glass. Um, yeah. This is an incredible piece. Um. Yes, and so if you're tuning in for social media, let us know uh, what you think about social media and, and this podcast. Uh, but this is, uh, this, is the last, this is the last slide. Hopefully you've kept your humanity, and hopefully we can work to make systems that bring us closer together rather than make us feel kind of alienated. Um, yeah, and hopefully we can all go back to the university. Why not? Why not, right? If we can, why not? If you can, why not? Um, okay, so we're an hour hour in looking back on this deep dive on education as you had the chance to sort of dive into this and, and learn and then share uh, your learning in public what what's changed for you from the time that you went into this discussion to where you sit now yeah i mean i think uh i think the points about what a personal ai can do for you it spans beyond education but a lot of what ai is doing for me is helping me learn and so maybe that's just because I like learning new things, but I think that's going to be pretty transformative. So it helps you learn, helps you achieve the goals that you, that you have in front of you. Um, and that's going to require a lot of like knowledge about you. And I do think that that's got to be something that's personal. That's got to be something that you control um, and have ownership over. Um, what changed to, uh, for me about this stuff is like education has been super successful. It has been the force um, that has brought so many people out of poverty and allowed me and you on a Monday to be just chatting about AI on the internet. Like we'd have yeah. to be toiling away in the soil um, in, a, in a previous life. So uh, we really need to appreciate 
that that was a movement. So we both need to not like like uh, say, oh, well, it's just education. We'll replace it with the internet, like we did during COVID, which was a disaster. So we, we need to not dismiss education, but we also need to appreciate that movements, mass cultural movements can fundamentally improve the human experience for future generations. And we are at that moment. So we, we both need to appreciate the past and appreciate what we have in our hands for the future. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Um, there's so many like rich topics in here and, you know, you've, you've got the kind of, you know, main six, uh, sort of areas that, that you looked at and thank you for taking us on this journey across, you know, each, each one of those pieces. I'll say for me, just having a minute to think through, um, really the, again, that power of how is learning going to change? right? Like how is the learning experience going to change and how much more accessible that experience is going to be. So it's not just like, you know, if we had a, a, all the money in the world, how could we make the best private yachts that very few people could have access to? We're talking about something that like everyone's going to have, like everyone's going to have this. And as we've experienced already, it's fundamentally different. So it's going to eat part of the old way of doing things and it's going to hope hopefully you know we're gonna it'll the pendulum's gonna swing around a little bit between we we add way too much ai and we take people completely out of it and then we you know everyone's completely disconnected we're all in you know uh, vr and you know students stop you know hanging out and getting the learning from you know just drinking or being in the quad or you know staying up all night working on projects together whatever it is right like those are all valuable learning experiences and probably not all of them are going to be able to be recreated um, within the bounds of the new system and the natural technology it brings and so you know we'll lose something and then hopefully we'll remember how to get it back afterwards and my hope is that you know in this next step that we take it's net positive and I, after, you know, talking about this a little bit more, I don't see how it can't be. I don't see how we're not going to, like, even if we just took, just as a thought experiment, took every online course and every MOOC uh, that's out there today and simply added AI to that and took those knowledge bases and turned them into tutors, would we not already be in a better place? Right? Like, that's a no-brainer. Okay, we already won, right? Um, yeah. So in the short term, no problem. And then as we start to crank that outwards and extend beyond, you know, those lifetimes of learnings uh, that have, you know, been captured um, and move outwards to the, you know, full educational experience uh, as it is, you know, like university and everything you spoke about, you know, regarding that, um, especially in places where university doesn't exist. And we're like, in the same way they leapfrogged, you know, over landlines straight to um you know cell phones you probably see the same thing where you know in uh, many areas of the world where they don't have developed um you know school towns and and ed education driven towns they might leapfrog over to this next level and then be able to kind of like pepper around it with uh you know those physical components as resources are available but in the short term 
this is just such good news, man. This is this this is good news. Only good news is how I feel. Yeah, yeah. And there's a level of impatience I feel. Like I want it now, but uh, but then uh, then we got to build it. So perhaps if you're listening, we are the people we've been waiting for. Build it. Tell us about it, and um, talk about it. Build the stuff uh, you want to use, as it's always been said, and be the voice you want to hear. With that. Um, thanks for listening to us talk about the stuff that we want to talk about uh, or hear about, <laughs> essentially. Right? And uh, we'll see you on the Discord. All right. Until next time. Thanks, Pat.